Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars pertaining to game design and publishing. This panel has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2019. Episode 241, Nostalgia as a Genre in Gaming, presented by Shoshana Kesek, Brian Neff, Doug Lewandowski, and Sean Jaffe. Use the mics, folks. Uh, they're live because um, we want to make sure people can hear even in the back. Can oh, we can we leave them here? Is this hearable, or should we like put them up to our faces? Yeah, they're, 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 they're. Is oh, it, they're not uh, on. Are we in Eurovision? Thank you. Eurovision. Uh, do you actually want to hook up to the guitar? Because I probably can. No, What's I don't it? know that we have one. Okay. <laughs> I'm sad about it because I just want to play combat. That's the other thing All right. gonna... Hi guys, uh, we're going to get started. So, um, can, can everybody hear me without the microphone? I'm quite loud. Um, <laughs> uh, so my name is Shoshana Kessak. I'm going to be your moderator for today. For recording, probably. I should use. Oh, okay. So. Well, no, the recording's just happening. Oh, from that. Yeah, it's just right there, so they can. I'm wrong. They can totally hear me. I'm sure. Um, so, uh, as I was saying, I, I am your moderator for today. I'm not going to take up much space introducing myself because I want to introduce our wonderful panelists. So we're going to start over here on this side. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, I am Brian Neff. Um, I am part of a company called Waitress Games, uh, and I do a lot of freelance work. I've done work on Betrayal Legacy, a lot of legacy games, but for the purposes of this panel. Uh, I have helped on the new Fireball Island, on uh, a lot of restoration games projects, Top Thief, Downforce, um, things like that. So taking taking a lot of old games and making them new again. Cool. I'm Doug Lewandowski. I'm a freelance designer. Uh, did The reason I'm on this panel is because of Kids on Bikes and Teens in Space, two role-playing games that deal real heavily with nostalgia. Uh, I'm Sean Jaffe. I am co-creator of Rememorex and now project lead on Commandroid, uh, uh, World Transformed, and um, I also do a lot of nostalgia stuff. So the way that we're going to do this is I have some questions for our panelists, and then we're going to leave enough time for uh, questions from the audience. Yes, that would be awesome. So uh, let's talk a little bit about, well, I'm going to start with what made you guys start working on nostalgia games in the first place? Uh, let's start with Sean. Um, you were there, so yeah. You did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a shill, I promise, but I was there when Rememorex started. So. Uh, it started with, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think a, a big part of the, the wave of nostalgia that we're currently riding, uh, certainly the one that I'm on, uh, was... Um, I guess it was 2016 that uh, uh, was when uh, Stranger Things premiered on Netflix. I watched that and said, I want to run this. And then I put up a thing on Facebook. And usually, like, it's all my friends are LARPers, so if I put up a thing on Facebook, it's like, I want to run a tabletop about, like, 
you know, elves, or I want to want to run a tabletop about uh, spaceships. I get like two or three people like, oh, well, you try that. And then I put this thing up, like, I want to run a tabletop set in 1986 about 13-year-olds and 16-year-olds. And like 500 people were like, can I Skype in from California? <laughs> uh, all right, this is going to work. And Google Hangouts from the moon. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Just went off from there. Uh, pretty similarly, uh, I watched the first three episodes of Stranger Things um, and posted on Facebook about it. And then the, the short version is that uh, Gilmore and I started working, John Gilmore and I started working on uh, Kids on Bikes as a role-playing game, initially with the intent of trying to seek the IP uh, and then deciding not to pursue the IP. And just kind of took it from there. It was just a space that was super, super fun to play around with and in. Um, and since I do this as a hobby, I, the only stuff I work on is stuff that is fun and interesting to me. So, um, it's going to come as quite a shock, but I was not alive in 1986. Um, so I uh, sort of occupy a, a unique space whenever it comes to you know leveraging nostalgia and doing stuff like that because um, I am relatively young uh, and whenever people are talking about um, you know the, uh, things like stranger things and the games that I worked on uh, I know those things you know because I love this space and I love working here so I've obviously like gone back and consumed that media and, and played those games and things like that but I wasn't there when they were around or when when they were big um, so for a lot of these projects I got brought on late as sort of a useful idiot um, because like you know I didn't have experience with the original fireball and I didn't have experience with you know I, I play tested kids on bikes for you and and you know I didn't have experience with what it was like to be around in in that time period or anything like that um, and so you know like being a person who is both a professional loves that space but doesn't know what it feels like to live in the 80s uh, is, is like a useful thing to have because it means that you know like I don't have the blinders that a lot of people have um, when it comes to that sort of that, that sort of stuff um, so that's sort of how I got brought in on a lot of those projects is just sort of a gut check for like what are the kids doing these days <laughs> um, which is funny because that actually goes into my next question oh, which is um, so uh, how do you make somebody who didn't grow up in that time period um, like feel like they're in that era like what is it about your games that actually lets people experience that and also um, how, um, how important is it to feel accurate uh, for you like in, in making these games for the for the time period uh, so um, as like as as far as accuracy goes uh, I think not at all mm -hmm. um, like it needs to feel fun we we have done so much work, you know, in the 30, 40 years from, from whenever, you know, those those games or that media was made at making things feel better. Like, we have design sensibilities now that we didn't have back then. And so, like, knowing those design sensibilities and using those design sensibilities and leveraging the source material um, is, I think, the most important part, right? Like... When we were working on Fireball Island, um, the original Fireball Island is 
cool, but it's not really a game. Um, you know, it's like it's it's dropping marbles, and 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 that stuff is fun. It's a toy, um, and so we wanted to use the design sensibilities that we had built up over you know the 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 for as long as we had been game designers, and sort of apply that to this cool toy that we had access to. You know, and we did the same thing with all of the other. Uh, all of the other licenses that we had worked with, you know, um, it was the same thing. And this is sort of moving forward a little bit when we were working with uh, Betrayal. You know, the original Betrayal is is a much beloved game by a lot of people. But if you look at it as a designer, it's a bad game. Um, you know, it, it creates a lot of really memorable experiences, but it's random, it's crazy, it's swingy. You could lose on the first turn. Like all of the stuff that we say that we shouldn't do anymore. Uh, happens in those types of games, and so like maintaining the feel is important. Um, making it feel spooky or crazy or you know colorful or whatever that part of nostalgia that you're leveraging is important. Um, but making sure that you bring to it, you know, like all of the things that you've learned as a designer is the most important thing. And then in terms of putting people in the in a more narrative game. Um, more RPG because Betrayal is very, very narrative. Right. Um, but in a more RPG-driven game where you're actually play, playing in the 80s, um, air quotes for people listening at home. Um, I like air quotes. Yeah, air quote 80s. <laughs> air quote 80s. Right, exactly. And that's, that's what I think nostalgia is. We're not playing the real 80s. We're not... There are things that we don't want to go back to in the 80s at my table, right? I'm not going back and having the good guys use the kind of language that the good guys used back in the 80s. I'm not interested in going back to the way things were in a simpler time when people knew their <laughs> place, right? Like, I have no time for any of that shit. Um, but I do have time for a phone call, I'm sorry. And then spam, great, thanks. Um, yeah, so like when we go back and do like there was no spam in the eighties. Exactly, right? So like when we go back and do like nostalgia for twenty sixteen, thirty years from now, like there probably won't be a big focus on like getting six spam phone calls a day on your cell phone, right? Because nostalgia takes us back to the things that we want to remember and is a way both for good and for bad to rewrite history so that it's something it's the idealized version of the past and it's to me as fictional as like uh, whatever D&D planes you want to talk about right like Ravenloft is no less fictional than Hawkins Indiana right um, to me so um I would say yeah I, I agree with that uh you know and, I, and I've said like we're, we're playing in the movie version of the 80s uh Especially in Remembrance, it's not the real '80s. Um, but I've I've run into this thing, especially that's that's strange with Commandroids, um, and I might be just because of the way that I run these games, where it's all based on this, you know, like there's this through line in, and I think it sort of comes from Stranger Things building off of the Cold War paranoia of movies like Cloak and Dagger and uh, and ET and. Flight of the Navigator, where the government is ultimately kind of the bad guy, um, where the government becomes this sort of important character in and of itself, 
and Soviet Russia becomes a character in and of itself that's kind of constantly moving in the background. And so, a game that started with a bunch of my players, especially people that weren't born in that era, being like, okay, well I'm comfortable with it as long as I don't have to be like crazy accurate. Uh, and now they're Googling everything and occasionally they'll check me and be like, well actually the governor of Ohio in 1987 was this guy, not that guy. And I'm like, wow, I did, this isn't, you know you're a 30 foot robot, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of, the, one of the lines we have in uh, the Kids on Bikes core rulebook is something like, look, if there are monsters, it's fine for like racism to not be a topic you have to address in the game, right? right? Um, and so to, I realize I didn't answer the other part of your question That's about okay. like, putting people one. into the thing. Um, I think it's about adding or subtracting the elements that are that feel key to the the broad changes in from one era to the next, right? So like one of the big things for kids on bikes is that we our suggestion is it can take place anytime, anywhere, but probably before everybody has a cell phone because that's such a shift yeah, to that's huge. right. Like if I run home and say. Mom, there was this massive dog out there, and he tried to eat all of us. And Mom says, I don't believe you. And I say, no, here's the picture. Right? Yeah, that's, he goes, oh, that's a very large dog. Time right? to so, call the police. Right, time, right, let's call the police and show them this. Um, or, like, I Snapchat it, and, like, people are like, oh, my God, where is that? We want to go look. Um, or, like, you know, the perception that back then kids got a lot more leeway and freedom than they got now. Right? That's an important thing to... For, was important for us to work in because that's such a part of the tropes of that shift. I had a problem with this one player in my first like long campaign playtest of Rememorex. Uh, it wasn't a huge issue, like it wasn't like a game ender, but occasionally it'd be like, oh, I just get on my cell phone and I call my dad. I'm like, you don't have a cell phone, but I'm rich. And I had to explain to him, like, okay, in 1986, my father was a major figure in the military industrial complex. He was working for companies like Lockheed and McDonnell Douglas and Grumman. He didn't have a cell phone. You're a 16-year-old rich kid. You don't have a cell phone. You might have a car phone, maybe, but you don't have a cell phone. And, and it kept coming up. Like He just couldn't get his head around the idea of somebody not having a cell phone. Wow. And, and sort of to, to dovetail off of your point, Doug, you know, it's as a designer, if you're designing things in those spaces and sort of leveraging nostalgia, like it is both good and important to be very explicit about that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, like it's important to put in your rules, like, hey, you don't have a cell phone because, like, it, whenever people are playing, especially like kids and, and people who weren't alive in that era, like, mm -hmm they're going to assume that a lot of the stuff that is true today was true back then. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's easy for a, a person who was alive then and, and you know, was, was a teenager in the 80s and, and doing all that sort of stuff to, like, have that clear mental image of what the world was like. Um, but nobody else does, you know. And so it's, it's super important to be explicit about stuff like that, you know. Like, you don't have cell phones. You can stay out late. There is no curfew. You know, that sort of stuff. And also, you know, sort of like you said, be explicit about the things that you don't want to tackle, right? The, you know, if you don't want to talk about racism in your game that is set in the 60s, like, be explicit about that sort of stuff. Um, you know, for two reasons. One, because you don't want to sort of 
whitewash what actually happened back then. And two, because if that's not what your game is about, it's probably going to be handled pretty poorly. Um, so, you know, that that sort of explicitness is, is super helpful. It's, it's funny, you're, you're basically dovetailing every question I have. I'm really um, good at segues. Um, <laughs> so my question actually next is going to be, you know, so how do you handle that kind of stuff while you're... Uh, while you're in uh, a, a game like this, there is a lot of topics that are difficult, to, uh, you know, coming from the 80s and coming from, uh, you know, previous uh, eras. Um, how do you tackle that? How do you um, prepare GMs going forward, actually? Not just you guys, but GMs who want to run these games. How do you, through your books and through examples, um, prepare GMs for handling that sort of thing? Start with me. Uh, okay. Um, go for it. Okay. Um, so one of the ways is safety measures, safety measures, safety measures. Um, the opening of our book after like our little narrative introduction is player safety. Um, you know, one of my core philosophies on every game is that this is supposed to be something that's fun for everyone. And if making it clear that the topics we explore have to be topics that everybody at the table is comfortable with, right? If the three of us want to sit down, or the, the three of you want to sit down with me as a GM and play a game where we really delve into racism in the 60s and want to do that in a sensitive way that everybody's comfortable with and you know, have periodic check-ins about, is this okay, that was pretty intense, uh, then great. If it's in a space where other people aren't going to be offended um, or aren't going to hear it to where everyone in the space who's going to hear it has bought into that, I think it's fine. Um, so safety measures to me is the big thing, and like ongoing active check-ins to make sure, like stepping out and saying, was that okay? Like where are the, what do we want to line? What do we want to veil? Um, that sort of thing. In, in the game that I'm currently running, uh, it takes place in Florida in 87. And a whole lot of that stuff came up organically. Like I wasn't planning on it, but I would occasionally like sort of check in with people like, is this all right? All right. Uh, you know, and talk to people individually. Because um, it's Florida in 1987, so it's not exactly woke. Uh, and, and what's more, it's juvenile detention, so it's kind of the prison culture of Florida in 1987. Uh, and it dips into, you know, there was stuff that came up in this, this thing that was about, you know, these kids, and it gets into the whole uh, gay conversion therapy, and that's part of the storyline, and then, like, obviously the clan is involved, because of course, and all of this stuff sort of came out organically, and, and a lot of it's very player-driven, because in Rememorex there's a mechanic where the players can sort of grab the entire plot by the throat and throw it in an entirely new direction, uh, called uh, a tracking error, where um, whoever's not in the scene can be like, and then Reagan shows up, or whatever they want to do. And the GM and the players have to be like, okay, um, I guess Reagan's here. And you move forward from there. Uh, so a lot of that stuff kind of jumped out, you know, and then like I would sort of talk to people on, 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 you know, on the side, be like, all right, this is what's going on. And so far, I mean, it's been going really well and it's been sort of delving into these issues in a really interesting way. Um, and uh, it feels pretty germane to the to the to the setting that these things would be coming up and and I guess it's kind of on me for not having thought of it um, 
but uh, it, it, it's it, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's, it's about like sort of checking in with people, making sure that everybody's okay, and then just if everybody's on board with the story, the story's going where the story's going. Um, and yeah, and it's kind of an interesting window into maybe not the most you know like we all love to talk about you know Sidney Lauper and MTV and all the fun stuff, but like there's there's a lot that went wrong. Yeah, for sure, and and like a big a big part of sort of GMing and designing those types of games is is knowing where your blind spots are for sure. Right. You know, like I like I am a straight white dude. And so, you know, it is very difficult for me to tackle, you know, and any any sort of those those sorts of topics accurately or in a sensitive way or anything like that. And like, luckily, I'm surrounded by a lot of people who can check me when I do stuff like that. But, um, like, that doesn't make me any more prepared to to sort of speak to those issues, right? It just means that I know that like I don't do this well. Um, and so, you know, I think sort of, like I said before, it's important to be explicit about that sort of stuff. You know, like I don't, I don't write about racism and sexism because I am a super privileged dude, you know, and my depictions of those sorts of things aren't going to be, aren't going to be great. Um, you know, but it is important to know that those blind spots exist so that when you, when you hand your book to someone who is your booker, gamer, your whatever, um, you know, to someone who can handle those issues, you know, that they have the tools necessary to tackle that sort of stuff, right? Um, you know, because like you said, you know, we, we do like to talk about all of the fun stuff that happened and like driving around in muscle cars and doing that sort of stuff, but you know, this other stuff did, does exist and, you know, setting a game in that type of scenario gives someone who is more apt to tell those stories the tools necessary to do it in a way that is very, very interesting. Um, and like can help a lot of the people at the table, you know, like find new perspective and do stuff like that. So, can so I say one more thing? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. um, so something else that I think is really important about this, uh, especially when dealing with a nostalgia game, uh, you know, any game will delve into issues that will you know, like race and sex and that because games are ultimately about people and that's just issues people have. But one of the things that I've, I've noticed uh, with games that are specifically about recent history and nostalgia is if I am going to address any of those major issues, I'm going to do it in a much longer form game where we can give them the attention they deserve. Right. Uh, so if I'm doing a one-shot at a convention, it's DeLoreans and Duran Duran all the way down. Like, nothing like that is going to happen. Right. DeLoreans and Duran Duran. But if I'm doing, like, a long, you know, like, like the, you know, I, I, every Tuesday for the past three years I've been running a game. And so in that, I'm, I'm much more comfortable grappling with these, like, these topics of, like, you know, what it meant to be queer in 1987. Yeah, 100% agree, right? Like, if I'm running a one-shot, it's going to involve getting a werewolf high. <laughs> you were in that game. I was in that game. Um, I want to be in that game. Can I just ask a question about Long Man? You know, we sure. talked about the panel and used the term nostalgia, and we sort of agreed at the beginning that that sort of had a whitewashing on it. That we're gonna, you know, like think about the. Do anything. Well, I don't know. Is that important? Um, to hear me, but the, uh, well, yeah, um, at least come up some. The, I'm sorry, maybe I'm out of order, but no, no, okay. just just the um, the notion of you know we talked about nostalgia as a term is like white white like fondest memories and things like that. So now, now we're talking about maybe historical setting and, and more realistic exploration. Is there another 
term that we need to like agree on or, or use is like, well, no, this is beyond nostalgia. This is a historical recreation, or you know, like like if you if you did like a, a noir detective thing, you wouldn't necessarily call that nostalgia. Maybe you would. I don't know. But you like we're we're doing it right. We're not nostalgizing. There's just a thought is 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 you seem to be kind of bouncing around that area. It could be more of well, you might call it more of a historical game at that point if you were trying to you know yeah. exactly recreate it. Um, I would say that, like in the in the noir game, like nostalgia is a part of that, right? Because noir never happened. Like that's not a thing that like the world ever. Yeah, maybe a poor example. But, <laughs> like, I'm just saying, like, but even then, like, if you're doing a game set in the 1940s, there is something very grounding in you know the fact that like if you're doing something set in the 70s, that the characters like hear about an event at Studio 54. Or, you know, if you're doing something set in the 80s, like, you know, I, I, I sort of have everything revolve around the Challenger. Um, like, in, in, you know, in pop culture as well, like, you know, if it's set in the 40s, then it's going to be jazz, and in the 80s, it's going to be uh, new wave. Um, I don't know why I'm focused on those two decades. <laughs> but my point is, uh, if you're, like, it, I don't know if I'm comfortable calling any of these games particularly historical recreation, because once again, you've got werewolves and 30-foot robots, so, it, like, it's still fantasy at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and sort of to to address the thing that you're you're talking about um, in, in, in sort of a different way, like, we, we, we use the term nostalgia usually in a very positive way, right? We usually use it to, to mean, like, oh, I remember this song, or I remember this MTV show, or all of that sort of stuff, but nostalgia is really about using cultural touchstones um you know uh, uh to, to sort of you, you know to, to to sort of inform what your setting is um and that's not necessarily you know that's not necessarily always going to be sunshine and roses right like you can talk about you know you can talk about the oj simpson trial as nostalgia right um and use that as a way to sort of create this cultural touchstone um and so, yeah, I think you're right. Like, usually when people are talking about nostalgia, they're talking about, you know, the, the awesome stuff that happened in those things. But that's not the only way to, to leverage that stuff as, as, um, as a setting or design mechanic. I think those are perfect examples to, to help me understand. Yeah. And, yeah. But to me, it goes back to if I'm right about this, um, and unfortunately it's getting recorded, but um, I think... <laughs> Don't fact check. Yeah, yeah, I mean, seriously, somebody fact check me. Um, I think nostalgia means the pain of missing what you remember, right? And so, so no, so no good person is like, damn, I miss when the races were more divided, right? Damn, I really miss when like more people were scared of being able to be who they were or who they are, right? Um, no good person does, <laughs> no good person. right? Um, and so I think nostalgia is about trying to re-embody the things that you want to remember. And if you want to move into the, the stuff that was painful at the time, I, the best advice that I can possibly give if you're pursuing something like that and it's not an experience that you have or are aware of is hire people who did and who were part of that experience. Just, we're going to hang on for questions and for one more question that I'm going to give to these guys, and then we're going to go to you guys. Um, 
So uh, there seems to be this like zeitgeist going on about nostalgia in, in general. I mean, like American Horror Story. You've got uh, you know Stranger Things. Um, what do you? Why do you think right now there's this like rise of nostalgia media in general? Um, yeah. I think it's because people who were alive at the time um, have hit a point in their lives where they've realized they can't do a lot to change what's going on and they feel powerless. I think most of the stories we tell are about giving people power to do good in the world. Um, and so the kids in Stranger Things can save their town and or the whole world, right? And I remember what it's like to be I was five in 86, but like, when I was that age, like thinking, I could probably save the world, right? And now thinking like, I could probably help this one kid feel better about themselves uh, as a high school English teacher, right? Uh, or I could probably make some small manageable change that might stave off the pending ecological disaster for 12 more seconds, right? Um, but not, I can't do much. And so I think nostalgia puts us back to a time, reminds us of an earlier psychic state when we were, when we believed that we could have dram a dramatic, immediate impact on the world. Um, and, I, and I think like, on, on the other side of that, like, I think the reason that we're seeing a lot of the sort of resurgences that we're seeing, like, when we're talking about Stranger Things and the new Star Wars and all of that sort of stuff, I think that you're talking about, you know, a, a, a group of people in a gap that is now sort of becoming, becoming and, and getting into a place where they have more free time and, and have more money to spend and, and, and things like that. So you're seeing a lot of stuff that appeals to that group of people, right? Like, the people who, you know, are, are uh, the, the people who are watching, you know, Stranger Things who were alive in that era are now at the point where, like, hey, I have kids who are becoming teenagers, and so, you know, this is what it's like to... You know, and 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 this is this is actually an, an an interesting point. Is like nostalgia is a really good way to hand those stories from mm. something that you have an experience with to people who don't, right? And so, like, if you know, if someone wanted to be like, hey, here's what life was like in the in the eighties, you know, Stranger Things is not a bad place to start, you know, because because I think it gives a lot of those cultural touchstones to the to the next generation to sort of keep those stories and what was important with that alive. So I would say I agree with all of that very deeply, and I think the reason it's a little louder, Sean. Sorry. Uh, part of the reason that this is happening now is I think it's part of a gradual change um, or more of a gradual development. Because um, there was a huge resurgence in the 80s of 1950s culture. Right. And this huge thing for the nostalgia of the 50s. And I remember growing up, and, and the example I always give is that in the Qbert cartoon, Qbert, remember the weird little alien with the round nose that would hop up like a pyramid? They made a cartoon of that. And Qbert had a letter jacket and he would like fight the greasers. 
that's not a joke. That actually was the cartoon storyline. Was like there, there was like a cobra in the, in the game. It's just a cobra, and then in the show, he was fighting greasers, and he was like the varsity kid, and it was all very 1950s. And I think it was just because the people that had to make a cartoon about like a tube that fights a cobra had to sort of contextualize it somehow. And they're like, all right, I guess I grew up, and yeah, he's in my high school. Fine, why not? Uh, we don't know what we're doing here, <laughs> um, and. I think it's kind of a, a continuation of that, where like I've been watching, you know, more and more of the cartoons now, sort of keep harkening back to stuff from the '80s. Like I remember watching regular show and being like, "Oh, that's a Sega. They have like a Sega Master System. That's that's their video game system. No kid is going to relate to that. That's for me, right?" So that kind of a thing has been like slowly creeping in over the course of I would say the past ten years to all levels of pop culture. And then suddenly Stranger Things and, uh, you know, Bumblebee and all of these other, like, 80s, like, period pieces just jump out to provide context. So all this stuff that kids didn't realize they were growing up with, it's like, oh, that's where that came from. That's what a Sega Master System is. That's where this song that I keep hearing at the gas station comes from. That was Duran Duran. All right, now I get it. So I think it, it, it's, it's sort of the natural progression of something that's been going on for a long time as people in Gen X keep moving further and further into creating pop culture. It's funny, um, I, I feel uh, almost cynical in saying that like, uh, you know, Gen X is, is now where the money is really also. Like reaching back into <coughs> the nostalgia allows, them to, uh, allows media to tap in really hard into that bank account. But there's also a part of me that's like, no, it's also giving hope in a lot of ways, looking at the new Star Wars and such, you know, uh, bringing back that hope uh, into a world, like you were saying, that's really desperately in need of stories that are hopeful. Uh, the 80s has a lot of those stories, like you were saying, so. Um. And, oh, and, and, and also, like, to, to that point, you know, that's a really good point, that, that the people who were creating media about the 50s and, and, and all of that sort of stuff are sort of aging out of being creative directors and making those decisions and are being replaced by people who were alive in the late 70s and early 80s and those are the people who are now making decisions about what stories are going to be about and, and, and that sort of stuff and you know even sort of sort of representative you know here right like we're all people who create things and make creative decisions about that sort of stuff and so like it's like it's it's a well that is very easy for us to, to sort of take from you know like Whenever I talk about video games and my stories, like, in my head, I'm always thinking about a Super Nintendo, right? I'm always thinking about Super Mario World. Um, because whenever, you know, you say the word video game to me, that's what I think of. You know, and it's different, right? Because for you, it would be, like, combat and, and that sort of Atari yeah. stuff. and, and it's Amagon. Yeah, right? And, and so we all have these sort of platonic ideals about things that are, um, about things, things that are natural about the world. You know, and uh, each one of us has a different ideal about what those things are, and that's going to seep into everything else. Mm -hmm. And to your point about the whether it's about giving hope or whether it's about you know cynical market reasons, I think it can be both, right? Oh, people who want to tell the stories are telling the stories usually because they want to give hope, they want to share something, and then. The executives are saying, "Yeah, it's going to make us a lot of money, right? Um, <laughs> it's going to be dope. It's going to be great." Uh, I love buy a third yacht. Any sort of story where, like, and and obviously there's testament to this all over the table in front of us. I love any sort of story where, like, 
pure capitalistic cynicism gives rise to like an enormous amount of hope and just like sort of undoes itself. Uh, the best example I've ever given is, um, you know, one of my favorite movies of all time is the 1986 Transformers movie, uh, the only one they ever made. And in that, uh, because uh, Hasbro was trying to execute their old toy line and bring in the new one, they made one of the greatest war movies of all time. And it had this incredible cultural impact because it killed off all these characters that we known and loved for two years. And it was the first thing for most of the kids in the 80s that said, like, war isn't fun. Like, your friends all die. And, like, that was huge. Like, nothing else had told that to. Like, everything else, Rambo, G.I. Joe, it was all very clear. Like, okay, you go and you shoot at people and everybody goes home and enjoys the soda and that's what war is and it's great. And it was the first time any of us were like, Wheeljack isn't coming back. Cliffjumper's not, they're dead. Like, that's what it is. And, and again, this grew out of pure Reagan-era cynicism, but it created this beautiful work of art. Uh, and, and that's a kind of weird thing that was very common at the time. Yeah. And, that's, and that's like the ultimate optimism, right? That uh, we can subvert this soul-crushing capitalist system into being something that actually like sends a message and gives hope. Right? Yeah. And that's so, very 80s. That right. is a very yep. 80s feeling for the hopeful of the 80s. There's, there's the ultimate side. So I want to open it up to questions. I know that uh, you were holding a question from before, and then we'll go around. So, do go wanna, Yeah, let's pass the microphone around. So that can that just reach over to the audience, or is it plugged in somewhere? Uh, it's plugged right over there. Ah, so uh, no, it's actually not. A Nico, you got it? It's not clear how long it is. Oh, it's not that long. Okay. Yeah, I think that's there you go. Do we just want to take questions like over here? Yeah, if yeah. you have a question, okay. just pop up over there. Right there. Hmm. Go for it. So, I, I'm just. That's very disturbing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just curious about the wrestling through this whole thing with you know with the discussion about nostalgia being you know the good parts version, um, and the idea that if we don't want to or feel we're not capable of addressing. Um, Racism or whatever else that, that we can sort of leave that out and have the, the happy, lucky, shiny nostalgia game. Um, and there's some things that are problematic with that, but but the thing that I'm wrestling with is like, what what do you even like? What is the eighties if you take away the problematic parts of it? I mean, it's true of any other era as well. But like, what what is that core thing that you think? Is being trying because um, I know I have seen all Stranger Things, but I saw the first season of it, and my response was like, "Yes, they're really making this look like an '80s movie," but they're down to the like, it's a team of three white boys and a token black boy and a token girl, and like that was very familiar because that was that was what the '80s pop culture looked like. Um, and I sort of wondered about, like, huh, well, why are they faithfully replicating that? I mean, it, I, it's because that is part of the, the look and feel. If you, if, I, I don't know if you could take out parts. Like, obviously, nothing is ever about everything, but, but there is this question of, like, well, okay, who did you cast in the movie? How many girls are on the bike? I mean, just, and, and if it... And if you, I mean, you know, I would have read this with, with, you know, like, there's a lot of steampunk or whatever, but it's like, well, let's be Victorian, all the not so terrible. But 
then I sort of wonder, well, okay, if, if we're all gender equal, why are we wearing these, these different outfits? Which is, and if you take away the different outfits, then it's not Victorian anymore. So, so my question is, what is, what is that 80s core, the good parents version? Like, what, what does that look like? What are the elements of that? I mean, that's why I think nostalgia is, is fantasy, right? Um, because it's going back to a world that looking back now, we wish was the case. Right. Right? What is the uh, so, so I'm not playing in the 80s, I'm playing in nostalgia 80s. If, if I'm doing that, if I'm right. doing something where I'm grappling with racism and Reaganomics, then maybe it's less nostalgia and, and more realistic. I think something interesting to, to get to that is uh, we were saying Stranger Things. Um, there is that um, dynamic of you know the, the kids or the three kids, and then there's the token black kid. But at the same time, uh, if you look back at those movies, um, he would be like the jive talking, like you know has no plot line, gets killed off first kind of character. But if you notice, Lucas's character has like a, a plot, and he is as deeply you know, uh, uh, figured out as the rest of the characters. So I think that's really interesting that, like, that, that is a nostalgia, I think, that you're talking about, right. which is taking out the parts that you're concerned about and getting down to the core of it without uh, exploring it in a negative way. I think that's a really good example, actually. And, and, and I think, like, to, to your point, um, whenever, whenever we talk about sort of nostalgia as fantasy, right, we, they're, like, th- that nostalgia, that sort of... Um, it, it sort of goes back to touchstones, right? It's different things to different people. You know, like, t- to, to me, you know, like, my, my nostalgia is the 90s. Um, and so, like, whenever you talk about, like, my nostalgia for that stuff, you very much talk about Super Nintendos and, and arcades and sort of the mall and, like, and stuff like that, right? But if you talk to another person about the 90s, it might very much be about, like, the the resurgence of the NBA and and you know very good sports players and and the Olympics and things like that right and so whenever we talk about like this is the nostalgia of the eighties we're not it it's it's impossible to nail down right because we're not talking about we're not talking about a specific time and place right you know it's it's like asking to to your point you know it's like asking what is fantasy if we said to one person what is fantasy like we can all come up with a couple of things that fantasy should have, right? Like magic and dragons and things like that. But when you get down into the nitty gritty of what fantasy is, it's different things to different people. Um, and so, so just, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to define it for all time for sure. everybody, but, I'm, but what, what, is, what would you say when for you are making this yeah. thing? What is, what I, is uh, that fantasy character? Yeah. So I, I think I get what you're trying to ask. And, and I think that there is a certain defining uh, zeitgeist to each of these eras that is in the forefront of nostalgic storytelling within that era. So in the 60s, if somebody, like if you just hear the 60s, you're thinking like hippies, peace and love, that's like 0.01% of the population was living that out. Like there was a, nobody went to Woodstock on a statistical scale. It was, it was, it was you know, this very vanishingly small amount of the population, but if you look at like television, they'd have you believe that like two thirds of the known world was in upstate New York that day. And so in that way, the the 60s kind of has this idea of like peace and love as the zeitgeist of that era. 
Um, and it gets a little bit more nebulous after the 60s because the 60s is so weird, like everybody thinks peace and love in the 60s. I would say the 70s and stories of the 70s are contextualized by <clears throat> a sort of disillusionment followed by a grim awakening to corruption, to like, it's, it's coming out of a haze. It's, it's understanding the world around you. And it's always kind of bittersweet, but it's also like, you know, it's growth. Like, it, you know, you look at any of these movies from like the taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3 to Star Wars, it's all about kind of like learning that things aren't as you thought they were. Uh, and in the 80s, I feel like there's a sense of sincerity to these stories where it's like, okay, you've grown up, but you need to retain that that heart. You need to retain that, you know, the, the heart is what, what will what will keep you going, what will let you beat the bad guy, the sincerity to the idea of like a kid who believes in themselves can do anything. Um, and that weird sincerity goes all the way through to about 1990 and it's immediately replaced with like this kind of snarky cynicism, uh, right about like 1991, 92. Say uh, yeah, and then it, it <laughs> sort of run through yeah. even to now. Like so, the example that I saw recently is like, in uh, the first uh, the, the Avengers, not uh, the end game, what was the one? Infinity, Infinity. War, yeah. right? Um, Tony Stark, like, sort of snarkily sums up the entire movie. We're like, oh, he's from space to get a necklace from a wizard. And, like, because he knows this is ridiculous, and he's telling the audience, we know this is ridiculous, but bear with us, this is going to be fun. In the 80s, that never would have happened. At no point in any 80s movie did somebody go, okay. Uh, he's an angel and he's from space, uh, but he's also an alien and he's here to stop us from street racing. <laughs> uh, like, they felt no need to explain itself to you because it knew that you believed, you know? And there was that sort of, that sort of sincerity in that storytelling, no matter how dopey or weird the storytelling was, um, that I think is what makes it so attractive as an era uh, in that like sort of nostalgic fantasy. So I want to I want to get as many questions in as we can. So we got ten minutes left. So try to keep them as concise as possible. We're okay. gonna go this. You were first, actually, because I remember you were first. Like, okay, I just either ask this because it kind of dovetails from what we were just yeah. talking about. Like, I have like two questions. One super quick. Uh, first one, Sean, did you take my transformer from from the living room, or is that yours? That's fine. Okay, we got the same transformer. He sometimes comes in front of the same guy. The second one is. Um, uh, kind of going off the way we're defining uh, 80s uh, nostalgia for a new generation. Uh, do you guys think that uh, the way we're approaching nostalgia in the 80s it can be revisionist? And if so, then it, can that revisionism be used for good? Okay. I think revisionism, revisionism can be used for good as long as it's made abundantly clear out of the gate that that's what's happening. Right. If you're trying to tell a story and you're saying, well, you know, it's Texas in 1945 where everybody got along, you know, like then obviously you're, but if you're saying like, okay, uh, you know, right out of the gate, okay, obviously this isn't how things were, but we're going to tell a story about like, what if it was like this, then I think you can use that to tell a story and stories can be good or bad in any other way. You just have to be clear about what's happening. Yeah, I, I think, you know, sort of like you said, that explicitness is very important. You know, saying that the the thing that I'm always reminded of is is the old um, is the old Looney Tunes cartoons, right? 
that the WB put out, and they had that disclaimer at the front that was like, "Hey, this represents this represents a different time and place, and we want to catalog these things as history, even though they are sort of objectively abhorrent now, right?" Um, and so, like, being very explicit with that sort of stuff to be like, "Hey, this." is or is not how these things were back then, you know, um, is important whenever you're talking about those sorts of things, right? Like, if you're going to run a game that's in the 80s and you want to say, like, hey, this, you know, like, these these people, this, you know, gay character or black character or, or whatever um, would have had a much rougher time than they do now, but, uh, you know, we're not, like, we, we're not going to tell that story you know, so yes, like at, at its core, that is revisionism. But you know, being explicit about that revisionism is important. I don't know enough about psychology to feel like I could answer this fully, but my my sense is the opposite. That um, that no, once we start revising things out and saying, even if we say, hey, we know it was like this, but we're just going to not talk about that. Then the story that sticks with us is, well, I mean, in Hawkins, Indiana, it was fine that Lucas was black until, like, a little bit of stuff in season two, kind of a little bit with the one guy who's clearly a jerk. Um, I, I think if those are the stories that we walk away even subconsciously being more likely to accept, then no, I don't think so. But if it's something where it's like, look, our revisionism is... Um, Inglorious Bastards, where we're going to go back and just savage Nazis, then maybe, right? Like, if we go back and tell a story where this is a real problem, but the good guys win, I think that can be used for good. But if we go back and tell a story where, like, it was a big deal, but we're going to make it not a big deal, I don't think so. But again, I don't know enough about psychology to know. Europe. And this is lightning round because we're getting tight. Lightning <coughs> round. Five minutes left. I generally thought that was my travel. Uh, my name's Ron. Uh, I had a question. In dealing with nostalgia, a lot of people who maybe weren't born in the era don't have the cultural context to understand when the material, the source material, is being satirical or is making social commentary at the time. And how do you, in developing games, um, either deal with it as a general question or very specifically like provide that cultural context so that people don't just walk in there blundering and like loving the thing that's actually parody. For me it's that if I'm running something where we're dealing with problematic issues, um, the people <laughs> presenting problematic ideas are going to be the bad guys for sure or it's going to be in a longer term thing where part of the character's arc is that they realize how problematic this one belief they have is, right? The good guys in stories that I'm interested in being involved with are never going to hold abhorrent beliefs I, for the whole game. So I, I actually take almost the opposite approach, right? Which is that if I, I... I don't I don't think that if you are presenting sort of nostalgia as a... As, 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 as a design facet of your 
your book or your story or whatever, I don't think that there is room for sort of parody and satire and nuance that that uh, uh, of the era you know that, that you're drawing from. Um, spe- specifically for a couple of reasons. One, because I think that parody and satire takes a lot of nuance. Um, you know, like when we look back at you know Shakespeare plays and things like that, like a lot m- most people read Shakespeare plays as very, very straight-laced, very, very, you know, you know that sort of stuff. And they're not. They're, they're, a lot of that stuff is parody. A lot of that stuff is satire. A lot of that stuff is really dirty dick jokes, right? Can you speak of country matters? <laughs> <laughs> but the people who know that, you know, have a lot of, have a lot of literary backbone in, in that type of storytelling. And if, unless you are expecting all of your players to, to have that sort of literary backbone, it's a, it's it's a real it's a really really difficult ask to like have people understand that sort of nuance, and so um, rather than rather than you know sort of try and couch that in in the, in standards of like of, of of this sort of stuff, I tend to instead be super explicit about it, right? And like almost if if you're going to do something like that, make it melodramatic. You know, make it ridiculous by today's standards instead of trying to couch it in sort of the source material of of the era. So like, I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. I don't. So like the American Psycho, like he's murdering someone while listening to Huey Lewis in the news, extolling its capitalist general population quality. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Sean I would also it. say that there is like a weird. We're in this bizarre historical <coughs> era where all of the jokes apply again. There is once again a cartoonishly evil game show host who's about to lead us into a world-destroying war with Russia. That that's happening again. So you can just use the same jokes. You don't really need to recontextualize it. It all works. So we're out of time. I'm sorry if anybody had any more questions, but I want to give one lightning question. Uh, if there was going to be a movie that you said uh, you know represents what you think of as nostalgia right now, like if there was one movie that you hold dear to your heart for nostalgia, what would it be? Super 8. Super 8, okay. I love that movie. Cool. Sean? (laughs) 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 Next year I'm going to do a panel on this movie because it's bonkers. It is good. Go see this movie if you haven't seen this movie. This is the most insane thing you will ever watch. Watch The Wraith. Okay, That's difficult for me. Um, <laughs> uh, I actually, so I actually really like horror movies. So for me, it is any remake of a horror movie that was in the eighties is my nostalgia touchstone. So like the new Halloween, <coughs> oh, nice. even though those movies are terrible, but uh, yeah, for me it's Nightmare on Elm Street. So that one's completely. Yeah. Oh, anyway, uh, I'm the moderator. I'm not supposed to toss in. Um, Thank you, everybody, for coming. Yeah, this was a great panel. Thank our panelists. Thank you. Thank you, you, Sean, for all the toys. This is great. Um, And thank you again. Uh, We should get moving because the next panel's good. Yep, yeah. Pass him back his My Little Pony. And if anybody wants kids on bikes, I have copies for sale. Or Rememorex, I have copies as well. I don't have anything to sell. (laughs) I have nothing.
Yeah, I just need to go to the tower. I think Justin is here. Okay. Um, so I'm going to say hi to Justin. No, no problem. No. I'll interview you, Justin. Thank you, Kai. Basically, you sit up here, and they spout a lot of nonsense, and you bat it back up. So, like, pitching a game. Exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's much like pitching a game. But dumber, even, somehow. Is this someone else's empty coffee cup? This is disgusting and unsanitary. Because the panel before us was filth. Right. Except show. She was lovely. I blame it on Brian. I blame it on Brian too. I also I always blame it. I was a solid answer. He didn't even have to be here. I would love to 